So in our journey through the Chronicles of Narnia, we encountered many interesting characters, and perhaps none were more curious than uh, Puddleglum uh, in the silver chair. Uh, he uh, accompanies Eustace and Jill in the mission that Aslan uh, gave them to find the lost prince of Narnia, Rillian. And their quest takes them to a city deep underground, ruled by the Lady of the Green Kirtle, also known as the Witch. There they discover the lost prince who'd been bound by the witch's enchantments. They break the spell, but soon afterwards she tries to bewitch them. She puts a green powder on a fire that lets off a sweet smell and plays music. She speaks in a sweet, quiet voice, casting doubt on all they've seen and experienced, seeking to convince them that there is no Narnia, overworld, sun, or even Aslan. No other reality apart from the underworld in which they're trapped. And she says, it's a pretty make-believe, though to say truth, it would suit you all better if you were younger. There is no Narnia, no overworld, no sky, no sun, no Aslan. And now to bed all. And let us begin a wiser life tomorrow. But first to bed, to sleep, deep sleep, soft pillows, sleep without foolish dreams. Last week, we looked at the importance of our faith in the death of Jesus and reflected that our, that our faith is a cross-shaped faith. And while we don't really need to faith, faith the believer in the crucifixion, as very few historians dispute it actually happened, the resurrection is a different matter altogether. Jesus died, yes, but what happened next? The creed is pretty clear. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Statement. The creed might be clear, but in our, but in our nation at least, fewer and fewer people actually believe it. The Christian faith is now officially, according to the most recent census, a minority religion, and less than 1% of our population attends a Church of England church, uh, a third of whom are over 70. Only 6% of the overall population describe themselves as practicing Christians. So that means 94% don't. We are a post-Christian society. Furthermore, a few years ago, the BBC claimed that a quarter of, the, of Christians themselves don't believe in the resurrection. It cited a poll that said exactly half of all people surveyed didn't believe in the resurrection at all. And they uh, got this woman, uh, Reverend Lorraine Kavanagh, she was speaking on uh, behalf of modern church, and she said science, but also intellectual and philosophical thought has progressed. So to ask an adult to believe in the resurrection the way they did when they were at Sunday school simply won't do. And that's true of much of the key elements of the Christian faith. Hmm. I don't know how you react to uh, all of this. I personally, it's, it's, it's easy to get dis discouraged, isn't it? The implication is clear. Belief, belief in God uh, is on the decline. Uh, the Church of England is on the rocks. It, by 2050, there won't be a Church of England. That's what some of the predictions are. Christianity is not for grown-ups. As for belief in the resurrection, grown-up Christians have got over that too. And thinking about it, it is remarkable how much the words of Reverend Kavanagh echo 
the words of the witch in, uh, in the silver chair. A belief in the resurrection, she says, is, is pretty make-believe. It would suit you all better if you were younger. Grown-ups don't believe that anymore. Christians from previous generations, well, they were more gullible. We're more educated. We know better. This is from a Christian, a reverend. She got ordained. Has an impact, this sort of thing, doesn't it? When these sorts of opinions are expressed, possibly in our family circles, maybe, or among our friends or colleagues, perhaps we feel silly. We doubt ourselves. These events were so long ago, after all, weren't they? I mean, maybe they're right, after all. That's a life after death. It's just a, it's just a nice belief, isn't it? A comforting, a crutch, nothing more. We all know, grown-up people do anyway, that life is, this life is all there is. After all, there's no concrete pre- proof. Not in the way that we understand it anyway. There aren't many stories of people experiencing resurrection these days, are there, after all. So maybe they're right. Maybe it's just a story to make us feel better. And then we listen to the other voices that tell us we can't really rely on the writers of the Bible anyway. These stories were edited much later. And the sickly fumes of these voices, so soothing, so deceptive, they gradually wear us down. The seeds of doubt are sown. So we then begin to doubt our own experiences of God when we sense God guiding and speaking to us, when we sense his presence. Uh, some of you may be aware of the recent um, allegations made against uh, Mike Pilavachi and uh, of Soul Survivor um, that have uh, been quite shocking for, for lots of people. I won't go into them uh, this morning. But uh, what, it, what it's led to is for the thousands of people whose lives were, were impacted uh, by going to the Soul Survivor Festivals, experiencing w- God worship there, experiencing God's presence there. For me, it was a huge, had a, it was, was a real catalyst for me in, in, in my growth of faith and exploration of vocation, uh, and definitely had a part to play in bringing me here. What these allegations have done is they've sowed a seed of doubt. What if, what if it wasn't real? What if we were all misguided? What if? Maybe they were just our our imagination, as if wishing made it so. And so these voices, they threaten to overwhelm us. And they sound logical, don't they? After all, we know that dead men don't rise from the dead. And so we fight to hold on to our faith in Jesus, or we we compromise, or we we just enjoy the comfort, and we we convince ourselves that it's actually, you know, it's not really about eternal hope. And we're certainly not going to show, share it with other people. And we try and have our, hold on to a faith in Jesus, but, 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 but the voice speaks to us and says, well, well, he probably wasn't real either. He was a story too. Or if he were real, he was no more than a man. And it all seems so convincing, doesn't it? So logical. And, and if a poll tells us that a significant proportion of Christians don't believe in the resurrection, well, maybe... They're right too. And, and these voices come out even in the biblical accounts. Uh, Mary and her companions have just met with the angel. They've been, they've been told by the angel that, that the Lord has risen and the disciples ridicule them. In Luke 24, it says, the, their, the disciples said their words 
the women's words seemed to them like nonsense. And on the way to Emmaus, those, those two disciples who trudged there, so hopeless, they, they heard the words of the women and they just didn't believe it. They did not believe it. Their, their atmosphere was one of disbelief, not of faith. There was an air of confusion, of doubt, bewilderment. The women must be deluded, they thought. After all, dead men don't rise. And yet, and yet. Deep in underworld, back to Narnia, it seems as if the witch has won. The four people have fallen under her spell. But then Puddle Glum shakes himself and he stamps out the fire. Burning his foot in the process, he breaks the spell. And then the smell that had uh, sort of bewitched him goes. And instantly everyone's brain became far clearer. And the prince and the children open their eyes. And then Puddle Gum speaks. One word, ma'am. One word. All you've been saying is quite right. I shouldn't wonder. I'm a chap who always liked to know the worst and then put the best face I can on it. So I won't deny any of what you said. But there's one more thing to be said, even so. Suppose we have only dreamed, or made up, all these things, trees, grass, and sun, and moon, and stars, and Aslan himself. Suppose we have. Then all I can say is that in that case, the made-up things seem a good deal more important than the real ones. Suppose this black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world. Well, it strikes me as a pretty poor one. And that's a funny thing when you come to think of it. We're just babies making up a game, if you're right. But four babies playing a game can make a play world which licks your real world hollow. That's why I'm going to stand by the play world. I'm on Aslan's side, even if there isn't any Aslan to lead it. I'm going to live as like a Narnian as I can, even if there isn't any Narnia. So thanking you kindly for our supper, if these two gentlemen and the young lady are ready, we're leaving your court at once and setting out in the dark to spend our lives looking for overland. Not that our lives will be very long, I should think, but that's a small loss if the world's as dull a place as you say. I won't go into details of what happens next, but suffice to say, the spell is broken and the four companions are able to see the witch's true nature. She transforms it into a serpent. They discover her words are all lies. There is a world above. There is a Narnia. There is a sun. There is an Aslan. I think there's so much we can learn from Puddle Glum. Because if the dominant voices in our increasingly secular, so-called, more grown-up world and society are right, there is no life beyond the one we see. There is no long-term hope. The most important thing I can do in life is look after those people who are close to me, and everyone can look after themselves. And yet, and yet we saw in the, in the COVID pandemic that people were beginning to question their assumptions about life and death. People realized that actually loving their neighbor was something they could and must do, and they did that. And Miss Kavanagh of modern church is speaking nonsense. Because if she's right and the resurrection really didn't happen, then, then Christianity is completely pointless. It's based on a lie that's taken in millions of people. 
St. Paul himself puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. If it's preached that Christ has been raised from, from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise, but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Sounds remarkable that he wrote that 2,000 years ago nearly. People like Lorraine Kavanagh and others speak as if people have only been recently questioning the reality of the resurrection. Actually, they were doing that only 20 years after the, after the death events of the death and resurrection themselves. And Paul is really clear that without the resurrection, the Christian faith is a complete and utter waste of time. But indulge me for a moment. What if the resurrection did happen? What if the tomb were empty on that third day as the creed said it was? What if? What if? Because Paul, although he is well aware of the claims that the resurrection didn't happen, he continues, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. If the resurrection happened, it changes everything. I mean everything. It doesn't mean that we have hope that once we die, there'll be heaven waiting for us, whatever that may look like. But it means life today, here and now, takes on a completely different meaning and purpose. Puddle Glum gets that. It impacts the way we live here and now. It means we pray and live in such a way that God's kingdom might come wherever we are. Living in such a way to make our, our bit of the world a better place. That that we take seriously Jesus' words about loving our enemies, about forgiving, about reaching out, about justice, about the poor, about all these different things. Living for the benefit of other people, living to serve, not for our own self-gratification, but for the benefit of others. What a place, what a world that would be if we lived in such a way. We have so many examples in, in the public sphere where people live for their own glory and their own gratitude and they fight when they do not get what they want. What if we lived in such a countercultural way that people lived for others, were humi had humility, had grace, had kindness? The world would be radically different. And Jesus gave us a blueprint of how we should do it. And we take heed of what he said because well, no one's come up with anything better. If Jesus' resurrection really happened, then we can also trust Jesus' words when he tells us that what matters most is that we love God and we love our neighbor, not that we love and care for ourselves. 
That's why his life led to the cross, and that's why ours should as well. Christ died to self and called us to go and do likewise, because the new creation cannot dawn if we're still focused on ourselves. Rather than taking care of ourselves first and then going out into the world to do the work of the kingdom, the work of the kingdom begins by dying to ourselves first, then continually putting the needs of others before our own. Yes, it's costly. Yes, it's painful. Yes, people don't always do what you want, and they're not always reasonable when you try and love them, but that's just the nature of life. We do it anyway. The resurrection changes everything for today as well as for tomorrow. It's not just about an escape plan a one-way ticket to eternity. Instead, it's a call to participate in the building of a new world, in the bringing of heaven to earth. This is the sort of faith that Puddleglum is professing, one which tries to live out the hope that we, he believes in, rather than waiting for the day when it might come to pass. Imagine what the church, imagine what the world would be like if we had faith like Puddleglum. Imagine what might happen if our faith wasn't just about believing the right thing so we can get out of here and on our way to heaven. Imagine what would happen if instead our focus was on caring for others and transforming the here and now. We see it. I know it is many, that's what the people here gathered here try and live for. We don't always get it right all the time, but we, we at least give it a go, give it a shot. You know, 9,000 young people heard about the, their possibility that they could be world changers. And it's so easy as an adult to go, oh, you know, well, you can have all these wonderful ideas, but, you know, life sucks. You, you can get, be dealt a difficult hand. Some, sometimes you wonder whether it's worth bothering. But what if, what if at least a good proportion of those, those 9,000 young people took something, a seed of something, a seed of hope, a seed of faith, it could change the city. It could have a massive impact on the area because they were told that with Jesus, anything is possible. And they believed it and they took it to heart. And perhaps there's people here who've given up hoping because it's just too hard. There's been too many kicks in the, in the stomach. It's too disappointing. And God's saying, look, he's inviting you to hope again. He's inviting you to try again. Try again with that relationship. Try again with that, um, with that situation that you're facing. He's inviting you to hope again, to live as if the resurrection really happened and live as though it can make a difference to your today, not just your tomorrow. And as for the arguments with those who deny the reality of the resurrection, well, they would all become relevant if actually all Christians just starting to live like Jesus, whether or not God is real, or whether or not that, that tomb is empty. Because the world would be completely transformed if people just loved like Jesus, even if Jesus is a figment of the imagination. So if we struggle with doubts, let's love anyway. Let's take a leaf out of Puddleglum's book anyway. Let's, let's, let's live like Jesus. Let's love like Jesus. Let's forgive like Jesus. Having said all this, I believe in the resurrection with every single fiber of my being. I believe that when Mary Magdalene went to that tomb that Sunday morning, she found it empty. 
And then I believe that she met with the risen Lord Jesus face to face, having previously mistaken him to be the gardener. I believe that. I believe there is good evidence for it as a historical event. And actually, the BBC article was deceptive. The vast majority of practicing Christians, over 90% of them, believe in the resurrection. And that includes grown-ups. And I believe I have experienced the power of the risen Lord Jesus in my life. I believe I've witnessed it in this church. Of course, we can't prove any of that. And I don't think we ever will be able to prove it empirically. But I wonder, is it just time to stop worrying about that and live out the truth that I believe? Because let's face it, the reality in which there is a God in heaven who loved the world so much that he sent his son to live and become the best possible role model and then to die for it as the greatest imaginable uh, act of self-sacrifice. And then that through this very same man's resurrection, he gave the world the lifeline it so desperately needed. And then in turn, that he encouraged all those who have faith in him to follow his example and to love each other and the world to the point of sacrifice. This reality far surpasses any other. It's a reality I would die for. And in the meantime, it's a reality I want to live for with every part of my being, even if I fail, and I do often. And I want to invite you, are you with me? Because when we live like this, and the risen Lord Jesus is present among us, and no one will be able to hide his reality. Last month, uh, pastor and theologian Tim Keller died after a battle with cancer. He was a bit of a legend. I was certainly inspired by many of his books and writings. Uh, he lived and he died well. And uh, just before he died, uh, he was asked uh, a question. What would you say, he was asked, to uh, a young Christian who was nervous about the future? And this the words of a uh, man who was facing the end of his life very soon. This is what he said. We're just going to watch a clip. Well, okay, uh, let me just say something that Kathy and I have talked to each other about in the last year. If Jesus Christ was actually raised from the dead, if he really got up, walked out, was seen by hundreds of people, talked to them, if he was raised from the dead, then you know what? Everything's going to be all right. Whatever you're worried about right now, whatever you're afraid of, everything is actually going to be okay. Uh, because because you got to remember, we're not just talking about resurrected people. Jesus Christ is, and this is where Christianity is unique, we're talking about a resurrected world, meaning other, uh, there's plenty of other religions that talk about a future afterlife, which is a non-material world. In other words, you get a consolation for the world we've lost. Mm -hmm. Christianity says it's not just your bodies are being resurrected, but the the world is actually going to be a material world that's cleansed from all evil and suffering and, uh, and sin. And if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then the whole world is going to be, in a sense, resurrected. Mm. And everything is going to be okay. Mm. Everything. You don't, even, you don't know how, I don't know how, but it will be. So, uh, and you know what? Actually, it, right now, I couldn't possibly be convinced that Jesus was not raised from the mm. dead either intellectually or existentially. So whenever I'm, and by the way, but Kathy and I, listen, we cry, we, had, we, we cried a lot last mm. night. Sometimes the reality of the shortness of what we have left here just overwhelms us, and we were just weeping together and, and crying. 
And then you say, if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, it is going to be okay. And then you can wipe your tears, but you don't stop mm. crying. Uh, it's like salt in the wound that keeps the wound from going bad. Mm. Uh, that keeps the wound from getting infected. But it doesn't mean that until the end of, you know, until we actually meet Jesus Christ, we, we still have our wounds. So they aren't going to be mm. healed. But they'll be healed by his. So I think I still could, yeah, I would still go back to if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and he was, you're going to be okay. I don't know where that speaks to you. Uh, I certainly found it uh, encouraging. Uh, I'm aware that there's, there's lots of how we haven't spoken about this morning, about the, the, the ascension. Uh, we'll part that talk about that another time but but the fact that Jesus has risen and ascended and is glorified means that he is present in heaven and one of the amazing things is that the Bible says that Jesus is praying for us he is he's even present interceding to his father on our behalf what an incredible thing that is that he's the risen Lord Jesus who bore our wounds on the cross who has raised up us to life is praying for us and in faith everything is going to be okay Whatever we're facing, everything is going to be okay. All, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. We have a risen Lord who died for us. He rose again. He rose to give us hope that whatever we're facing. And my prayer is that our faith would be reignited and that we would live like Jesus, fearless and full of faith and full of hope. So let's stand together. In a moment, James is going to lead us uh, with the band in worship, but let's just, let's just, just come before God. Holy Spirit, we invite you to fill us afresh with hope. Whatever we're facing, if we've been pushed down by doubts and worries and concerns, those voices that that say it's a fairy tale, whatever it might be, and we, we question ourselves. And I pray that, that fresh conviction, fresh, fresh hope would, would arise once more by the power of your Spirit. That we would we'd be able to stand on this faith in Jesus Christ, who died, who rose again. That we would know deep in our hearts that it is true, and that there is hope in you. For, uh, uh, but also that it was, as that, that wonderful hymn puts it, strength for today and courage to live as you would have us to live, to, to make a decision to forgive, to make a decision to pursue love rather than hate, to pursue selflessness rather than selfishness, to pursue servanthood rather than aggrandizement. Whatever it might be, I pray that you would help us to live counterculturally in a way that Jesus would have us do that you would give us that courage to stand for you, to speak truth where lies are so much easier, and to live in the power of the resurrection, as resurrection people filled with hope, filled with conviction, filled with you. So come, Holy Spirit, we invite you now to fill us afresh. Renew us, we pray, for we are yours.